I am the founder and CEO of Inclusivity, and this is our podcast, Inclusiva Talks. Today, we are incredibly lucky to be talking to Rebecca Blake Thompson, who um, I met because her company, the company she works for, IndieSource, is actually working with us to produce our bags and our jackets for our new shareables line. And Rebecca and I just got to talking, and I realized that she is passionate about uh, the environment and about eco-friendly fashion. And so it seemed like a perfect fit to have her on the website as we launch. So Rebecca, we're going to talk about that in a little while, but I'd like to start by just asking you to tell us a little bit about you, sort of where you came from, how mm -hmm. you got to where you're at now and what your passions are. Thank you, Lori. I'm very happy to be here. And I'm very excited that your followers are going to be learning more about the work that you're doing because you have inspired me since we've met. Um, I have been working in the fashion industry for about 12 years. Um, I've been a buyer. I've been in, in sales. I've been in merchandising. Um, I've overseen product development, marketing, brand development, and um, I had my, you know, aha moment as far as fashion goes. Um, it's probably been about five years now um, since I saw the true cost um, by EcoAge, um, Olivia Firth's Olivia Firth's team um, that recorded the documentary about. Um, you know, it, it touched on the environmental issues, but more specifically the makers behind our clothing. Um, and though I had been in the industry for many years and been very involved, there was still so much um, that that was not transparent that I that I didn't have access to it that I and that I didn't know, and that really opened my eyes and instilled in me. Um, what I think is just the, the most important quality for us to have as, as both consumers and professionals, which is just curiosity. Mm -hmm. um, so the curiosity to learn more, to ask more questions, to, um, you know, get answers to the things I didn't know so that I could choose to make decisions based on what I knew instead of just blindly mm -hmm. making decisions. So since then, um, you know, I kind of, I stayed, you know, fully, fully immersed in fashion, but began pursuing my master's in sustainability management, an MBA program. Um, I'm an ambassador and, um, you know, the senior, senior community um, engagement leader for remake.world. And I do um, investigatory journalism surrounding sustainable fashion. Um, so, my goal is just to find more people who are curious to bring them into the conversation of what does sustainable fashion even mean and you know who does it affect um and so that's what i'm excited to talk to you about today among a lot of other things. There's so much yeah. going on in the world right now. So there's lots to talk about. When you um, first saw that documentary, you said mm -hmm. you, there were a lot of things that you were sort of, your eyes were opened to mm -hmm. things. What would you say is, is a big takeaway that you took that you really want people who are listening to say, oh, okay, that leads me to want to be more curious. That leads me mm -hmm. to jump in and learn more. Well, for me, it was, it was, it was the human connection. I mean, it was, it was super troubling to see 
you know, the toxic dye runoff into waterways where people bathed and drank and, you know, washed their clothes. It was, it was super troubling to understand, you know, what was going to landfills and, and, you know, the environmental impact. Um, but I think, you know, what really woke me up and, and what was interesting in a lot of ways, we tend to compartmentalize the environment and humans. And we think that, you know, we need to protect ourselves, to take care of ourselves first, to meet our own needs. And we've somehow created this cognitive dissonance of how intrinsically, you know, embedded we are into every ecosystem on the planet. Um, You know, we can't live without breathing air. We can't live without drinking water and eating food. And so for me, you know, the aha moment was, okay, well, there's not only these environmental impacts going on, but the things that are happening to the environment, the way that we're poisoning the environment, we're self-poisoning, right? We're, We're swallowing this stuff. We're drinking this stuff. We're eating this stuff. All of these, you know, these terrible things that we're doing to the earth, we just have to turn around and consume it right back, you know, because the only place we get our air and water and food from is from the earth. And so not just that, not just seeing how, how intrinsically, you know, we're connected, but then also understanding the social justice component and understanding that, you know, there are a pair of hands behind every single garment we make. I mean, I think a lot of people believe that, you know, with the proliferation of fast fashion, I think a lot of people assume that clothing can now be fully made on a machine and that there aren't human hands involved in the process. Um, You know, and the reality is that if there's a seam, you know, if there's a stitch, then, then human hands had to guide those pieces of fabric through a machine. It's a soft good. So the way that it's manipulated and the way that it's moved you know, inherently means that it can't be fully mechanized. And so for me, it was kind of the the realization that every single piece of clothing I've ever owned and will ever own and have on my body have been touched by not just one pair or two pairs, you know, but dozens of, of hands. And how does how I treat my clothing, what I pay for my clothing, how long I take care of it, how long I own it, how do all of those things affect the people that that touched them before they even got to me? You know, um, and so those were some of the connections that I drew. And you know, it's like once you know, you know, once you learn, you can't unlearn, you can't unsee. So it affects everything. Yeah, and that's sort of what brought me to this too, where we're you know launching this new product that really is as eco-friendly as we can make it. Um, when I you know first started doing the t-shirts, I started doing all sorts of research on mm-hmm. where the material came from and all the impacts. And I was struck mm-hmm. by not only the justice component of it, which I think again, you're right, that not very many people think of. Um, and I was also struck with um, just the number of t-shirts that we're creating and just the number of products that we use and how quickly we, we, we discard them and mm-hmm. how, it, how the impact is significant for that. So mm-hmm. I appreciate everything you're saying and it sounds like you learned a lot from that. And so now you've jumped into a master's program. How far along are you on the program? 
gosh, you know, I'm a full-time working mother of a three-year-old, so I'm not exactly <laughs> following the traditional path that my peer, that a lot of my peers are, where it's all just a two-year program. I've had to kind of take breaks and jump in and out. Um, so I'm over halfway done of what would be a two-year program. Okay. So I have a few courses left. Um, but, but it's really exciting because, you know, a traditional MBA program, of course, combines, um, you know, people that you might not really see show up in a sustainable MBA program. But I think what's exciting for me, being one of the only fashion people in the room um, with my peers, um, you know, is to see how much people from the energy sector and from agriculture and from you know, um, impact investing and all these worlds can come together. Um, you know, and the reality is that if you are passionate about sustainability, um, then no matter how diverse, you know, your industry or your sector is, we all share a common goal. And again, the same way that ecosystems work, you know, and the way that, you know, we're all interconnected, the reality is that as, you know, as, as polar, you know, opposite as some industries can seem, we're all relying on resources extracted from the same places and we're all relying on human capital and we're all relying on consumers, um, you know, whether they be direct consumers or business to business consumers in the same way. So there's a lot of ways that we can collaborate and cross over, you know, kind of cross sector to learn from each other. So that's been really exciting. That is really exciting. Mm -hmm. So have you read anything about the um, belief that things like pandemics may be more often happening because of our mm -hmm. environment? And do, have you yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the reality is that um, the further you know human disruption that in the the further disruption that humans cause to natural environments and natural habitats the more we displace animals, the more we displace, you know, natural ecosystems, then um, things are thrown out of balance, right? Things are thrown out of whack. And, you know, the current crisis has been traced back to a human consuming a bat, which, you know, can carry all kinds of diseases. So looking at, you know, kind of understanding that the effects of pandemics in terms of how it disrupts our society is really only uh, a sliver, kind of a preview of what can happen when real, you know, climate emergency type change starts to happen, you know, because people don't make the connection that climate change means there will be droughts and less access to water. There will be droughts and less access to food. There will be mass migrations because people need to move to closer to resources. There will be mass displacement. There will be mass shortages and access to things. Um, and I think, you know, the reality is that for us being very privileged people in a first world country, we're able to say that, well, we can still purchase the luxuries we need, we can still purchase the access we need, we can still purchase the resources. Um, but a huge portion of the global population already, you know, is being fully affected by climate change in terms of losing the natural resources that they rely on for food and water and shelter, 
causing mass migration, having to leave their home, losing their jobs because they can't farm the land or they can't work in the traditional industries um, that require the natural ecosystems to be in balance and to be flourishing. Um, you know, we've kind of, we've gotten to an overconsumption point in almost every category. You know, we over consume in comparison to what we really need and we disproportionately consume in correlation to um, you know different demographics different incomes different you know socioeconomic status um, so I think unfortunately those who are doing the most damage and doing the most consumption are the ones that are the most removed from the damage that they're causing. They're the ones that are most removed from the effects of climate change. And those who are suffering the most are causing the least damage and causing the least harm, yet suffering the consequences. So yes, you know, pandemics are but a preview of the real catastrophe that can happen when we disrupt, you know, very delicate ecosystems and balance um, and don't respect the natural order of things. So the bright spot is that this is waking some people up to that and some people are making the connection. Um, you know, more recently in the news, we've seen the dark spots, which is, you know, um, you know, ugly or violent behavior coming out of this in a time where humans need to be kinder to each other than ever. So I'm staying optimistic and hoping that this is a moment that kind of helps people see the potential of not just the damage we can cause, but but how powerful we are to create and affect change. Mm -hmm. I think that before this crisis, and, and you, know, you and I have chatted about this, Lori, but I think before this crisis, what we saw was that a lot of people just kind of have a, well, what difference do I make mm -hmm. attitude? It's just me. What difference does it make if I take the plastic bags from the grocery store and I don't recycle and I eat too much meat and I, you know, don't drive a, you know, an eco-friendly car and and part of that, you know, is is not the consumer's responsibility. You know, the reality is that a lot of that has been perpetuated by large corporations who do dictate, you know, the resources that we have access to. And a lot of that's out of our control um, and they need to be held accountable. So I'm not, I'm not minimizing that, but what I'm, what I'm shining a line on is the fact that I think a lot of people just thought, well, climate change is inevitable or what difference does it make considering how far we've come. And that in this very short time of you know, the stay at home restrictions and, and a lot of the parts of the world, you know, you know, um, self quarantining um, or quarantining by mandate. We've seen a drastic impact on the environment. You know, animals are coming out of the wild into urban landscapes. The waters in Venice are running clear for the first time that many of the residents who have lived there their whole life have ever seen. Um, you know, the pollution over the skies in LA is cleared up. And that, you know, and you and I talked, that was just a few weeks and there's already noticeable differences. So I think some people are starting to say, oh, well, maybe we could actually make a difference, you know? Well, maybe. and 
Yeah, and what's interesting is that as we were talking about the pandemic, the other thing I just read is that even air pollution actually helps the pandemic molecules go further. So as our air is more polluted, those molecules can actually stay in the air, which means that even the spread of the pandemic among us is worse, the worse our air pollution is. And I think that that hopefully brings home to people how important this is to us. It's not just breathing the smog. It's, that's not the only problem with it. It's also that germs stay in the air longer and we are likely to get sick. So I think that yeah. all of this is such important information for us to have. Well, and, and, and compromised, you know, ecosystem, poor air quality compromises your immune system. So if, you know, you're not getting, you know, fresh sunlight and breathing fresh air and have clean drinking water, and if you don't have access to, you know, fresh fruits and vegetables, the reality is that, you know, you're, you're living in a compromised environment that, you know, will continue to thwart your ability to fight off disease once you do get it. So it's, it's, it's like you said, it's kind of like a double, triple whammy, you know, um, the worse, you know, the worse off the planet is and the worse we treat it, the easier it is for, you know, pandemics and climate change to, to, to amplify. Um, but then that's, that's the flip side of the coin and the encouraging part that the more we do to protect the environment and to treasure it, the more we do to be conscious of our actions, then we're that much healthier. We're that much less vulnerable. We're that much more, you know, the infrastructure is more stable and sustainable when these things do hit. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think, go ahead, please. Oh no, finish your statement. And I want to ask you a question. Yeah, I was just going to say that I think, you know, the other thing that this global pandemic is bringing to life and, you know, in glaring disparity is, you know, socioeconomic divides of people that have access to resources and have access to work at home from a computer and have access to, um, you know, still receive income if they can't physically go to work and the people that don't and how when our society um, and our, you know, political economy is set up in this way, then those who are vulnerable to sickness and disease and instability will, will only continue to be more vulnerable. And those that who are protected will only continue to be more protected as these situations escalate. So I think it also, you know, really shines a spotlight on those glaring inequalities and, and the attention that needs to be put there. Well, what I love is that when I started inclusivity, the goal was to promote both environmental and social justice, and Mm -hmm. because they're so closely linked. And I think these kind of conversations really bring bring home that they are intimately linked and that we need to address them both. And that pollution and um, the the way we're damaging the the, uh, earth much more strongly hits in Mm -hmm. people who live in communities that are already in some poverty or already at risk. Mm -hmm. So I think these conversations are incredibly important. And it makes sense for us to say that we're committed to both, that both Mm -hmm. are important and both are worthy of our attention. So Rebecca, having said all of this and Mm -hmm. and saying these are all the sort of reasons to change and Mm -hmm. that that we've caused some damage and we're concerned about the effect of fashion Mm -hmm. on the environment, what is your sort of 
goal? What's your plan? If you add someone in the fashion industry, what would you like to see happen? Like what has to happen next? Mm -hmm. If I could wave a magic wand. Wave a, wave a magic wand. <laughs> well, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of competing priorities and a lot of competing realities, right? Because if you truly wanted to, you know, fix, you know, fashion, um, we wouldn't have, you know, virgin feedstock. We would be able to reuse, you know raw materials, we'd be able to recycle them infinitely. We'd be able to mend and repair. Um, we'd be able to ensure that supply chains were always transparent, that we knew who the makers were behind the machines, that you know companies were transparent about how much those workers were getting paid, what their healthcare coverage is, you know, that they had paid sick leave, all of these things, right? Um, the the reason I fell in love with fashion is because to me, fashion is, it's my preferred form of, of art, right? Some people like music and photography. I like the way that you can manipulate different fabrics to drape around the body. I like the way that fabrics have different textures and colors. I like how endlessly creative you can be with where you put a seam and, and how it, you know, changes the way the wearer feels and, and, and can express themselves. And the reality is that there will always be consumption. And that's not a bad thing, right? Continuing to produce new clothing, continuing to feed consumer demand, you know, all of this is a reality. People will always want to buy stuff and they will always want newness, right? But the solutions lie in how can we provide for consumer demand in a way that we're using materials that are sustainable. And by sustainable, we mean that you could rely on the use and the extraction of these materials ad infinitum without damage to the environment, right? Or within some sort of closed loop system where what you take, you're able to easily replenish in a quick amount of time, right? So I think what's really exciting is that the answer to sustainable fashion truly a lot lies in just creativity and innovation. How can we be more creative about the materials we're using? How can we, you know, be more thoughtful as designers and as industry insiders in terms of designing sustainability into products, designing that they have a longer lifestyle? life cycle, designing that they're able to be mended and repaired, offering consumers those programs for mending and repairing. But the real answer and, and the real opportunity lies with the consumer because the consumer, just like a politician in power who has to get voted in, corporate fashion brands do not exist without paying customers. So the reality is that if if tomorrow all of Inditex, you know, who make Inditex, who makes Zara and, you know, if tomorrow every single one of their customers woke up and said, we're not shopping from you until you're sustainable, they would, they would get sustainable real fast, as fast as they could, because without paying customers, they're out of business. So the true power lies in customers. And this is why I love the idea of curiosity so much. The true power relies in customers educating themselves, being more curious, asking more questions, and, and, and holding brands, fashion brands accountable and saying, 
I'm not going to buy from you until I know that you're paying your workers fairly. I'm not going to buy from you until I know that if I spend $150 on a jacket with you and it tears that I can send it to you and you'll, you'll repair it. Or that, you know, I, as a consumer know that if I invest $150 in something and it tears, I'm going to repair it. I'm going to take it to get mended and I'm going to care for it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's about consumers understanding how much power they truly do have. It's just like your vote. It's just like your sustainable actions. We often think that we as one person don't make a difference. But if we can use our voice to, you know, educate others, you know, I'm from, I live in Los Angeles. I consider myself a New Yorker because I lived there for 10 years, but I'm from Georgia and a lot of my friends and family who follow the work I do, you know, will say that, oh, I just, I've never been exposed to it. I've just, no one's ever said it that way. I never thought about it. So, you know, the most rewarding thing for me is when I get a family member or a friend who will message me on social media and say, I, I like had this hole in my jeans. I was going to throw them out, but I took them to the dry cleaner to get repaired this weekend because of you. Or I was going to buy this new dress for this wedding I had to go to, but I thought about you and I went to a thrift store and bought one at a thrift store instead, you know, things like that. And so we always think that we don't make a difference, but using our voice and sharing our voice with others is how, is, is, is the human condition, right? It's how we tell stories. It's how we connect. And I truly believe in the power of individuals changing their behavior to not just make a difference, but to use their voice to demand for a difference, you know, and to not just accept the status quo, to not just accept things the way they are. But I think to, to get back to your original question, you know, if I could just wave a magic wand and make fashion sustainable, it would start with the consumers, you know, saying, I'm going to change my consumption habits. I'm not going to buy, you know, 10 shirts from H&M for $10 each. I'm going to invest in, in nicer, nicer clothing. And, and look, I, I understand that a lot of people can't afford a $100 t-shirt. And the answer is, okay, well, then instead of going to H&M and buying that $10 shirt, go to a thrift store and find a quality, well-made shirt that was, you know, made 30 years ago that's going to last you longer than the one you buy from H&M now, you know? So thinking about how we as consumers can demand more from brands, but also how we can change our behavior um, to affect our, our consumption, that's what's really going to make a difference. And Rebecca, don't you also think that as people demand eco-friendly, eco-friendly will become more affordable? You know, Absolutely. It, demand is there that, the, that you know, we start using uh, environment-friendly mm -hmm. hemp, for example. So mm -hmm. the more hemp is manufactured, the cost of the hemp clothing mm -hmm. goes down. So I think that that's the other thing that, um, from my perspective, I think mm -hmm. people have to start really thinking, if I'm talking about environmentally friendly, mm -hmm. then I have to be part of the push that gets that to happen. And I think that that's, that's hard. I think it's a hard sell, but I'm hoping mm -hmm. we'll find ways to make it an easier sell. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I mean, we've already seen that happen. You know, there's um, there's a you know a, a, a denim designer um, 
you know, triarchy denim, you know, I've, and I've interviewed Adam. He's one of the founders along with his brothers and sisters several times. And he said, even in the, you know, the few, the few years that he's been producing sustainable denim, um, his mills, you know, his, his fabric mills will tell him, oh, you know, we're getting more and more requests for this. We're getting more and more requests for that. And, and so the reality is to your point, they can start to phase out the things that are in lower demand, Mm -hmm. the things that are more toxic, you know, the things that are less eco-friendly can get phased out and replaced by higher demand for the more eco-friendly, less water use, less dyes, you know, less harsh chemicals products. But to that point, you know, brands could make all the, you know, eco-friendly products, but unless consumers engage and support them and buy them, they just sit on a shelf. So to keep that cycle going, to keep, you know, the mills making more eco-friendly options and phasing out the non, you know, the non-eco-friendly ones requires that consumers are, are, are voting with their, you know, their wallet and making that choice. And I, I think it's really just about a pause, you know, so much of our consumption has become so impulsive and, and look, I'm super guilty. Like I, I love fashion. So you know, for me, it's been a very long learning curve, but now if I get an impulse to buy something, you know, just to, cause I'm having a bad day or whatever, I only buy secondhand. So that's my rule. If I have an impulse and I want to buy something, it's fine, but I have to buy it secondhand. You know, I don't go just buy something new impulsively. So, you know, it's also about, about pausing and saying, okay, well, we don't want to take the fun out of fashion. We don't want to take the expression out of it. I mean, that's what's so beautiful is that people can express whoever they are, whatever their personality is, whatever they want to look like, they can do that. And that's what's so wonderful about fashion. You know, a lot of people, when I got into this career, would knock me for saying, oh, fashion, that's so superficial. And I would always just turn back to them and say, have you ever left your house naked? (laughs) Yeah. No. So the reality is that it is something that you interact with every day. It's something you think about every day. It's something you put on your body to protect yourself from the elements every day. So why can't we have fun with something that is necessary? Why can't we have expression and joy and and enjoy the collaboration and the creativity and the beauty of it? So it's not that we want it to go away. It's just that we need to find more thoughtfulness, more purpose, and more creativity in how we're producing and consuming it. Yeah. And that is ultimately for us the the whole reason that we came up with shareables, which is our new goal, is that is that desire to create something that people can use one product and have lots of different things with it. And so mm-hmm. um, I think that that's that's how we started this conversation. Mm-hmm. It was you mm-hmm. know, reached out and said, you know, we're creating this product that you can change the look on the mm-hmm. same product with just a little panel. So I think mm-hmm. that's one of the exciting things for us is we really like the idea of being part of that push, whether it's our products or looking mm-hmm. looking at things in a different way and looking for mm-hmm. alternatives that call for less. Um, production while still allow individuality and expression. So I think mm-hmm. that, and I do think consumers are the ones who will push that. I think that's really right. Yeah. Right. Well, that's what's so cool about shareables. And to your point is, you know, you're investing in a high quality, you know, 
you know, uh, frame for the artwork, the, whether it's on a denim jacket or a tote, you know, what the wearer can, can add it to is, is something that is well-made and can stand the test of time and can be mended and can be repaired and is an investment because the people that made it are getting paid well and, and, you know, the materials that go into it are thoughtful. Um, but to that point, like, how cool is that, that, you can invest in something that serves as that canvas, but you can change the art every day, you know, because that it, that really is what's fun and beautiful about fashion. And it doesn't need to be all doom and gloom. There's a lot of opportunities. And, and what you're doing is exactly what I'm saying. If we can find creative, you know, ingenuitive ways to still get to change your expression every day, but that doesn't rely on mass consumption that still allows you to express your personal style, but that it doesn't come at a cost of, you know, women working for cents a day, you know, things like that, then that's great. And that, and then that's what needs to happen, you know? Um, and, and it, you know, it's just, it, it's so interesting to me, an industry that prides itself on being so creative in terms of producing, you know, these, these whimsical designs, you know, runway designs, you know, new collections, you know, five, six, seven seasons a year, you know, constant newness when challenged with, okay, but how do you get creative about your resources? How do you get creative about your supply chain? How do you get creative about you know, what happens to your product once it starts to break down? How do you get creative about how consumers can swap and share and resale your product? How do you get, cons you know, then it's like everybody clams up and nobody has an answer. And so I think that's why what you're doing is so cool is because you're not shying away from that. You're still finding ways that customers, you know, can express their creativity and can feed that desire to, you know, be different people on different days, have different looks, you know, um, you know, express whatever mood they're in at that moment without that constant need for expression to have such a heavy toll on, on resources. That's certainly our goal with this. And mm -hmm. our goal is to create something beautiful and lasting mm -hmm. that you can have forever. Yeah. So this is, this has been really interesting and um, fun to talk about this uh, sustainable. Are you hopeful? Are you hopeful that we can do this? I am, you know, naturally I'm a very pessimistic. <laughs> I think I'm a realist, but um, my, everyone in my life, my husband and my family tell me that I'm actually just a pessimist. Um, I consider myself realistic, but, but no, I actually do feel very hopeful about this and, and kind of bring it back to the present moment with the COVID crisis. Um, you know, a lot of people are going into some really dark, you know, periods of depression and anxiety with this. And I absolutely understand and empathize with that, but I fortunately have been able to maintain an attitude that I think some really cool stuff is going to come out of this. And I think, and I, and I'm not discounting any illness or death that anyone has had to suffer. Absolutely not. Um, I'm not saying that any of that makes this worth it, but what I am saying is that this could only be negative and this could only have very dire consequences, but I think we have an opportunity to use this as a way to reassess life as usual, business as usual, and just to, to make sure that it wasn't 
all for naught, you know, that it wasn't just for death and suffering and pain and hardship, but that in spite of all that, we were able to find something positive and good and that it challenges the creativity of a lot of people who's who are now given you know the luxury you know it's for those of us who are privileged to be able to sit home and to be safe and to you know quarantine ourselves um have had a lot of time to reflect and it's almost the um you know the the obligation to use that privilege to to be creative and to you know, find new paths forward and, and to, to propose new ways of doing things. And it's also the, the obligation of that privilege to reassess how you as a human interact with other humans and how you as a human consume the resources that you consume and how you respect the resources you have access to, you know. Um, so my hope, my optimistic hope is that people will use this as an opportunity to find new ways of doing things. And my thought is that if that does happen, then the ramifications will be positive across all sectors. And that that drastically affects fashion because you know, fashion is a you know consumer consumption-driven model um, that is ripe for you know a, a reevaluation. Um, so I think the way that we've been able to reevaluate our consumption through this time will will hopefully also you know, have ripple effects into how we consume um, fashion as well. So at the, before we turned on the recording, we were talking a little bit about how this has affected us, the COVID-19 um, mm -hmm. situation. Mm -hmm. And you were saying that some days it's just hard to get up. So mm -hmm. I'm just curious, what, what do you do then to, to make yourself do that? What is sort of the strategy you use to kind of pull yourself out of that? Oh. Well, I have a three-year-old and he'll start just hooping and hollering. So I don't have much of a choice there, but I think more, you know, more existentially, the answer is that um, as, as daunting as it is to go through email inboxes and requirements and, you know, your obligations these days, in each interaction, we're given the opportunity to connect with a human in a way that we haven't before and to try to empathize with what someone's going through on the other side of the camera. I mean, the only people that I physically interact with on a daily basis are my husband and my son, right? Because we're at home. So that means that every other interaction I have, you know, unless it's an emergency grocery store run, um, is through a, is through, is virtually, you know, as you and I are doing now. And so I think what, what gets me up and what gets me going is this is just as hard for other people, if not harder. And how can I try to make any interactions that I have today, you know, how can I be empathetic towards what that person is going through and show up for them? Because, you know, we're all showing up for each other. And how can I use this as a moment to find a way within the conversation to show them that I understand or that I can offer help if they need it or be supportive? with the hopes that, you know, if someone sees that need in me, that they'll offer it too, you know? Um, and just knowing how much, you know, I, I, I wear a lot of hats, you know, I'm a professional consultant, I'm a journalist, I'm a speaker, I'm a, you know, um, I'm a writer, 
I'm a student, I'm a mom, I'm a wife. So also, you know, just kind of saying, okay, well, these obligations are also obligations to other people. And if I can try to be what they need and, and they can try to be what I need, then hopefully, you know, we can kind of all get through this together. Um, but it, it is draining in a way that I, you know, having a, a newborn and a toddler and being a full-time working mom, you know, I've never been this tired before. And um, it's just bizarre because I'm not doing anything. I'm not running around. I'm not physically exhausting myself, but you know, as we chatted about the, the general kind of weight of the crisis and the anxiety that you see other people, you know, especially loved ones, you know, some of my loved ones are handling this well, and some are not handling it well at all. So, you know, you carry a lot of their anxiety on yourself and, um, and that can just be really draining, (laughs) you know. Yeah, and I think I think that that's uh, you know what you said is well spoken. That kind of noticing other people and paying attention to how other people mm-hmm. are doing, and remembering that we are so much all in this together is helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, at least to make you feel like you're not out there all alone. That mm-hmm. everyone is struggling a bit right now, and I think there is this just general angst and anxiety going on that really calls us to you know take some breaths and to really mm-hmm. enjoy our three-year-old when, you know, Mm -hmm. when the three-year-old is there to really appreciate that and to Mm -hmm. appreciate these interactions and the moments where you do feel connected to someone and Mm -hmm. share role, and to slow down and frankly, to give yourself a break. If you feel a little lethargic sometimes that that is kind of a normal feeling right now. So it is okay. Mm -hmm. Good to try to pull yourself out of it so that you can do that. You know what you do want to do but also okay to give yourself a break if you're not performing at what you would consider your peak right now, because I think it's hard to do that in this situation. So before we end, I want to, well, first of all, just thank you for all of this because it was wonderful and Mm -hmm. great to hear your perspective and to talk about sustainable fashion because it's pretty near and dear to our hearts. Mm -hmm. But I also just want to ask you if, um, you had a piece of advice for self, for people. If you just had like a, a life philosophy piece of advice or something that you would say, here's something I want people to know or something mm-hmm. I want people to believe or do, what would that be? I, I think I would have to go back to, um, to curiosity mm-hmm. and, and my encouragement that in all things, you maintain a, you know, just a voracious curiosity about life, about the person you're speaking to, about what they're going through, about the food you're consuming, about the clothes you're putting on your body, about where things come from, how they're made, who made them, what is their life like, you know, because I think that insatiable curiosity not only leads to, you know, knowledge and wisdom, um, but it leads to great empathy because the more we the more we think about and and question and are curious about other people's experiences, um, then the the more perspective we have on how much we have and and what we can be grateful for. and um, and so I would just say, you know, stay very curious. It also just makes life more interesting and fun. 
And I think it keeps you young and I think it keeps you creative and playful. And I think it, it makes you not afraid to try new things or take chances because you know, even if I, you know, flounder and fail, I'm, I'm curious. And I, so when I get to the bottom, I'm going to start asking questions and trying new things and figure out a different path forward. Um, so I think it really saves you too. You know, if you maintain a curiosity, then you're, um, you're safe in life because you'll always, you know, be able to find more information, more support, more empathy, you know, um, more resources. So that would be my advice. Stay very curious. I like that a lot. And then mm-hmm. to end, I always like to ask people to tell us a story and it, mm-hmm. a story from your life. And it doesn't have to be the story. It doesn't have to have a heavy meaning. It doesn't just something that gives us a picture of you that we might not have had otherwise from any point in your life. It doesn't have to have anything to do with what we've talked about. Just a story. I've been um, trying to do the daily walks, right? To get the dog out of the house and my son out of the house. And um, I like this time of year because I'm reminded um, about dandelions. And until I had my son, I never thought about them. You know, they were just kind of a weed. They were something my dad always tried to get rid of in the yard. They were just kind of everywhere. And as a kid, I knew you could like make a wish and blow on them, you know, and that was always fun. Um, but when my son was just under a couple years old, you know, and he was cruising around and walking and exploring on his own, and we would go to the park, he was fascinated by them. He loved them. And, um, and he just, you know, he'd want to hunt for them and collect them whenever we walked. So I started noticing them, you know, and I, I thought how cool it is that this thing that's been here all along that I didn't really pay much attention to was given so much meaning by someone I love. And now it's something that I can't not see right now. I see them everywhere and I'm always on the hunt for them. Um, And I just like metaphorically how they're a weed, you know, they're kind of this unwanted, unthought about thing. And yet to my son, they were something magical and fun and and special and precious. And so um, I try to remember to look at everything that way, you know, that something that I might have overlooked before could be something very sacred to someone else. Um, And I even had a a dandelion tattooed on my... um, on my arm to remind me of him. So I've been thinking about those because this is the time of year where they're everywhere. Um, so that's just a nice reminder, you know, to kind of take the the obvious and the mundane and try to find, you know, different ways of thinking about it. And what a perfect moment for us all to be doing that. Mm-hmm. To yeah. try and find the magical in everything that we're, mm-hmm. we're doing. Yeah. So, Thank you very, very much, Rebecca Blake Thompson. This has been delightful, and you are um, really a pleasure to talk with. And I will be talking with you again. Um, Thank you, everyone, who's listening. This is Inclusive Talks, and um, we'll see you next time. Thanks. Thank you. Bye, Lori. Thanks, Rebecca. Bye.
if she's a mouse.